So good to be here this morning. Uh, I got to tell you, this church is so resilient. The last 20 years, you know, I've been speaking here annually for quite a few years. Uh, God's Spirit is on this place. You know God's Spirit is on something when you can kill it, bury it, but it keeps coming back to life. And uh, that's been the story of Renaissance over the last 20 years. I've seen so many ups and downs, more ups than downs, uh, but there is a resurrection power um, on this community, and I believe it goes right back to the, the roots of the church. It's very Genesis. I remember meeting in the Columbus Theater in January 2003. The heart of your pastor is the heart of God, and uh, I'm believing for great things in your future. Amen? Amen. I see Hadassah in the back. <laughs> I owe a conversation to you after. I promise you mission support this month. If you don't know Hadassah, uh, Hadassah grew up. She was raised in a church I pastored in uh, Warwick for a number of years. And right now she's on the missions field. I strongly encourage uh, supporting her in any way you can. But uh, yeah, glad to be here. My wife, is it's her 46th birthday today. So she's celebrating with uh, kids and grandkids uh, she will be joining me uh, probably next year. But keep her in prayer. Keep me in prayer. Um, I do travel the country. Um, my latest book is on the transformation of David Berkowitz. Um, I performed a 100-hour, 34-session, non-clinical case study on David Berkowitz where we, we defined some of the mental health factors that were behind his 15 shootings back in the 1970s as well as 1,400 fires that were lit all through New York City, uh, as well as a stabbing. Then he gave his life to Jesus Christ in 1988, and the son of Sam became a son of God. Jesus saved psychopaths too, amen? How many believe that? If the gospel is not powerful enough to save and transform a psychopath, then it's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, Amen? Uh, that book is actually being released, ironically, this week. Uh, the advanced copies are for sale next week at my next church in Cranston, Rhode Island, Praise Tabernacle. Uh, but it'll be on, online on Amazon um, October the 10th. I'll be on the 700 Club. I'll be their first guest. Uh, CBN is flying me in October 9th, 10th, and 11th. I'm doing a few of their shows. But on the 10th uh, will be the actual release of the book. I do strongly encourage you. Uh, if you could maybe watch the show, keep me in prayer. Uh, I believe we're living in a day and age where there are 13 mass shootings a week in the United States of America, and people are looking for answers. They're trying to understand what's happening. I mean, in, in the, the average country in the East, there's about five to 10 mass shootings a year, 13 a week in the United States of America. David's story speaks very loudly, very clearly to this generation. Most importantly, his conversion. That if God can save the son of Sam, he can save anybody. And that really is uh, probably the most important message of this book entitled Monster Mirror. I called it Monster Mirror because when I met with David, I was expecting to hear his story. I was expecting to see a monster. Instead, I saw a mirror. And I, I learned from meeting with him in 34 sessions, I learned that a lot of the factors behind his violence are factors that relate to you and I, that relate to our children, and the line between the psychopath and the population is a lot thinner than we like to imagine. 
The Bible says in Jer Jeremiah 17, not the heart of a psychopath, but the heart of man is wicked and deceitful above all things. So I, I want to challenge you this morning. Uh, nine of the themes that we discussed in the 34 sessions, we talked about shame. We talked about abandonment trauma. Uh, we discussed the social phenomenon known as de-individuation. Uh, we talked about head trauma. But one of those themes we're going to discuss today, I want to talk to you about anger. I believe the Bible's the greatest psychology book ever written. Amen? Amen. I don't just read it, it reads me. Have you ever had the Bible read you? I want to talk to you this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, on the subject of anger. Am I deaf or is this loud enough? Is it good? Okay, I just want to make sure. I, I got hearing problems, sometimes I can't. I'm Italian, we talk loud, we don't calculate the volume of our voice too well. Um, I do have a few books for sale afterwards, you can see me. Uh, Pena Pain into Parables is about recovering from trauma. Uh, Ox in the Ass is on toxic relationships. Uh, Dr. Jesus is a devotions on mental health and surviving feelings is a book that just deals with emotions and how to walk you through uh, certain dark emotions. I do take PayPal, uh, Venmo, uh, Cash App. You can see me afterwards. If you can open your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Hallelujah. Your pastor was so um, instrumental in my discipleship. I really learned to pray uh, through being around Pastor Scott. I learned to seek Jesus. I learned to love his word. And this morning, we're going to look in the word of God, and we're going to pray the word of God looks into us. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is a mirror of our soul. It confronts the sinner in us, the image of Adam. It unlocks the winner in us, the imago Dei, the image of God. I pray this morning the word would look into our hearts. I pray those that are here that have anger and those that are here, anger has them. I pray by the end of this message, the word of God would do a work inside our hearts. Make us like you, Jesus meek, self-controlled, powerful, but under the control of the Holy Spirit. Jesus, the first time you came, you looked like us. The second time you come, may we look like you. Make us look like you this morning, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, you know, as a PhD, many of you have you know, higher education, you understand, data collection, sitting with David for 34 sessions, uh, 100 hours, conducting what's known as thematic analysis, where you're looking for themes that surface, and certainly for a man that's gunned down 15 people, that's lit 1,400 fires, anger was one of those themes. I had the opportunity not just to hear David's story, uh, the old David, the David that grew up in the Bronx, New York, same neighborhood where my uh, stepfather who raised me was from, the Soundview section of the Bronx. Uh, I, I not only heard David's story on his anger before Christ, but I had the opportunity to watch him as a believer, as a son of God, 
navigate through anger in the present. Because being a Christian for 35 years, as you know, it does not uh, immunize you from anger. But you and I, we still have this emotion. But my prayer this morning is that this emotion will not have you. Because there's a big difference between having anger and anger having you. Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the church. He's not speaking to the unbeliever. And he says in verse 26, he says, Be angry, but do not sin. Somebody say, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity. Other verses say, give no foothold, no place of occupancy, no opening to the devil. Now, like I said, I'm an Italian-American, so anger is my love language. I mean, I can't tell you how many times in my uh, 45 years of living on earth that the neighbors have called the cops on my family. You know, the, the cops show up and they say, is there domestic violence happening here? And we say, no, we're having dinner. <laughs> I was just asking for my mother to pass the Romano cheese. That's all. Now, my wife is Italian too, but she's very uh, even keeled. She's just a very... Uh, pleasant personality hardly anything bothers her I don't I don't know how she does it especially living with me I wake her up at 3 a.m. she hears me goggle in the bathroom she has the milkshake blender and she never gets aggravated I said Alicia how is it that you never get upset she said real easy she says when I get upset how I vent I like to wash the toilet bowl it makes me feel better I get a toothbrush I wash the toilet bowl and I let all my anger out I said, how's that work? She says, your toothbrush. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen. She hates when I tell that story. <laughs> I, want, I want you to pay attention to Ephesians chapter 4. The apostle begins the statement about anger. He begins with giving permission. He says, be angry. He doesn't say, don't get angry. When you get angry, you're in sin. He says, be angry, but sin not. I want to spend some time just on the prefix of this verse before we even touch the suffix. These first few words, it's as if Paul is sanctioning the emotion. He's telling us the sin does not lie in the emotion, but the sin lies in the motions. In fact, to get angry is human. To be angry is human, but to manage that anger is divine. Anger itself, the emotion, is not a sin. May I submit to you that anger is not the effects of Adam's fall. It's affected by Adam's fall, but it is not the effects of Adam's fall. It is the outcome of divine design. There are 35 verses in the Bible that say God gets angry. You bear a strong resemblance to your creator. You were made in his image. God gets angry. I get angry. You get angry. So anger is not a sin. Now, just that alone is liberating. 
Because some of us grew up in maybe homes, in church communities, where to be angry was forbidden, to get angry was taboo, and you internalize the anger, and impression without expression equals depression. In fact, there are people in here that you're depressed because you've had no opportunity to be angry. You've had no chance to get angry. God wants you to know this morning, you don't have to be sorry about being angry. Now, that is a liberating message, especially in a politically correct culture that tells you you have to be nice all the time. I'm not sorry about getting angry because the Bible says be angry angry. Somebody say, be angry. angry. You get a little nervous when we preach that verse. Usually they say, well, but sin not. We're afraid what's going to happen. But the reality is, anger must be expressed. In fact, there are psalms in the Old Testament where the psalmist David is expressing his anger. He makes statements that are very uncomfortable for the modernized reader, the imprecatory psalms where David expresses his rage against his enemies, where he even says things like, may the infants of my adversaries be dashed against stones. I mean, we read that verse, we don't know what to do with it. Even the commentators don't know what to do with it. They usually say, well, David is prophesying the destruction of the Assyrians. David's not just prophesying. David is angry. But David knew that God could handle whatever he felt. He knew that God's shoulders were broad enough to deal with his emotions. This morning, if you're angry, you don't have to be sorry about feeling angry. And don't let anybody make you feel sorry about being angry. In fact, if the Apostle Paul says be angry, there must be some usefulness of the emotion. When God created the brain, he created the brain with a number of neurotransmitters. Two of those neurotransmitters associated with anger, cortisol, adrenaline. There's a usefulness behind anger. In fact, may I submit that probably there'd be no headway in our society if people didn't get angry. Moses was angry when he looked at Pharaoh. And he said to Pharaoh, God said, let my people go. David was upset with Goliath when he looked at Goliath and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the armies of God? When you get angry, you get busy. Are you with me this morning? I wish to God some people would get angry. In fact, when you're enraged, you're engaged. I think some people are not angry because they're not paying attention. Some people are not angry because they're sleeping. Isaac Newton's first law of motion, everything is in a state of inertia until something provokes it, until something compels it to act. The word anger in the Greek is morally neutral. The term is defined in the Greek as being provoked. When Paul says be angry, he's saying be provoked. Some of us this morning need to be provoked. Can I get an amen? I get more done when I get angry. When you're angry, you're busy. You're moving. 
There's no movement. There's no advancement. There's no activity. There's no action until something comes along and it bothers you. It ticks you off. Listen, Jesus walked through the temple more like storm through the temple. He was not twinkling through the tulips when he flipped the tables over. Jesus was angry. And you and I, sometimes we get angry. There's a difference between having anger and anger having you. Uh, David Berkowitz, I've met with him for 34 sessions, and I've seen him upset. But I've seen the work of the Holy Spirit. I've seen the grace of God. I've seen a man who gets angry because he's human, but I've seen him manage that anger because he's filled with the Spirit. And God's will for your life this morning is when that emotion comes, that that emotion would be submitted to his hands. It would be yielded to his providence, and he would use you in your anger for his glory. Somebody say, be angry, but sin not. Now, I, I, I believe that there is a place in God. In fact, the very word meekness, when Jesus says blessed are the meek, the word meek in the Greek is a word that connotes strength. The word is pros, P-R-O-U-S. The Romans used this word to describe their war horses, why would they call the war horses meek? Because the war horse is a trained animal. Unlike the regular horse, a horse is volatile. It reacts to stimuli pretty quickly. But a war horse, all of that energy is harnessed. It comes under the direction and the subjection of the master. If the rider pulls the strap to the right, the horse moves to the right. If the horse, the strap is pulled to the left, the horse moves to the left. When that anger is submitted to God, you and I become war horses. And I believe there are war horses in this sanctuary this morning. Blessed are the war horses because they will inherit the earth. But when you get upset, when something comes along, it perturbs you, it gets under your skin, it provokes you. The test of maturity to submit ourselves to God and say, God, right now I'm so upset. I admit I'm upset to say to your brother, your sister, you offended me, you bothered me, but to work through that anger, not to hold it in, not to harbor it, but to express it before God, before the people of God, and to submit yourselves to him. Now this morning, I want to talk to you about Ephesians chapter 4. And I want us to look at not just the anger, the emotion, but I want us to look at anger, the motions. Two sins that Paul is warning against in Ephesians 4 because it is a greasy slope. It is a very slippery slope to have that emotion and that emotion not have you. In fact, Paul warns that in that place of anger to not give the devil a foothold. I want to talk to you about erosive anger, and I want to talk to you about explosive anger. Erosive anger is that anger that eats you up. Explosive anger is that anger you blow up. I want to talk about the anger that's internalized, and then I want to come, it comes to a point where the same anger that's eating you up, eventually, you and I, we blow up. Paul says this phrase, Ephesians 4, very popular 
uh, adage in the first century. It was usually used in the business world. Uh, Don't let the sun go down. Now, back in early days, before clocks, before watches, if a man was in the middle of a project, if he was working on some kind of undertaking, he would look outside, he'd watch the sun, and when the sun would go down, he would take that project and he would tuck it away, he would put it off for the next day. When Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger, he's saying, don't put it off. Don't tuck it away for the next day. Don't stuff it. Because if you tuck it away today, when tomorrow comes, you'll tuck it away the next day. And the more you tuck it away, the more you suck it up, the more that anger begins to eat you up. Erosive anger. The kind of anger that you suck it up. Now, I come from the suck it up generation. Anybody come from the suck it up generation? We, We didn't talk about feelings too much. I know Gen Y and Z and millennials, you got conversations about emotions with your parents. That didn't happen in my house. It was suck it up, buttercup. You don't like what you're eating for dinner? Suck it up. You don't like the bullies in school? Suck it up. You don't like the teacher's comment on your report card? Suck it up. And the more you suck it up, the more it eats you up. You keep letting the sun go down. You keep putting it off. The Bible says if you got an offense against someone, resolve the matter quickly. Deal with it before the sun goes down. Because if you keep sucking it up, it keeps eating you up. How many grow up like I grew up? Well, you were told to suck it up internalize it. Keep it to yourself. Nobody cares about your feelings. Put them in a back pocket and sit on them. And you know the more you suck it up, the more it begins to erode. In fact, Jesus speaks in Matthew 6. He says, if you're bringing your gift to the altar, you have a gift, whatever your gift is, if your gift is music and you perform on the worship team, if your gift is preaching and teaching, whatever your gift is, you bring your gift and then the back of your mind, you remember you have some rift, some conflict, some feud. He says, leave your gift, go resolve the rift quickly and then come back and bring the gift. Because God knows our makeup, that we cannot hold on to anger too long without it making us sick. That we are social creatures, even the most introverted among us, even those that pride ourselves in our individuality. We are still social creatures. We're part of the body. And when there's a riff, the riff must be resolved. If there's some kind of gap, the gap must be bridged. Because when there's a break between us and others, there's a break inside of ourselves. So don't let the sun Go down. Don't put it off. Session number seven, David Berkowitz uh, showed up for the session, and uh, I could tell he just wasn't his uh, typical self. He was out of sorts. Walked in the room. Usually he, he says hi to some fellow inmates. Uh, very fatherly. They call him Pastor Dave. Um, he's been ministering the gospel for 35 years. Disciples, 17 guys in Shargun Correctional Facility. He responds to mail around the world, very pastorly, very fatherly. And uh, he walks into the room, and I could tell he's just quick, you know, 
hellos, doesn't really say hi to anyone. He sits down. Usually he settles into the chair like a man at a Thanksgiving dinner table. Now he's sitting at the tip of the chair. He's on edge. He's in fight-flight mode. I can see he's bothered. I said, David, why are you so upset? He said, you know, that question you asked me, he says, I remember my therapist, Ms. Sosnoff, asking that when I was seven years old. I'd visit her every Saturday. My mother would take me because I was so angry. I'd go in the back of her office. She had a toy chest full of toys. I would take out four or five female figurines. I would line them up against the back wall. Seven years old, I'd find a dart gun, and I'd shoot each of the figurines. He said, I was so angry, but I could never understand why I was so upset. I couldn't get to what was getting at me. And the therapist would ask, why are you angry, David? And now you're asking me, why am I angry? And it's such a challenge for me to understand what is at the bottom of this anger. He says, for years, anger was something I ignored. But now, as a mature Christian, for the very first time, anger is not something I ignore. Now it's something I ignore explore. In fact, God asked Cain the same question in Genesis chapter 4. He says, Cain, he says, why are you so angry? If God asks the question, he's not looking for information. He already knows the answer. This is not for God's sake. This is for Cain's sake. He's not asking for information. He's asking to elicit introspection. He's saying, Cain, look in. What's under the anger? Don't ignore it. Explore it. Anger is a secondary emotion. It covers up more vulnerable feelings. We know from looking at fMRIs when people are angry, studying those that are angry, that anger is a secondary emotion. It usually kicks in after some other more powerless feeling, more vulnerable emotion. Anger is a defense mechanism. So it is our job that when we get angry to stop and say, let me look in before I lash out. Usually when we're angry, we externalize. It's about people, places, things, circumstances, other people getting on my nerves, my antichrist boss, my narcissist ex-husband, narcissist ex-wife. It's always outside of us, but to take a moment and say, why am I angry? What is this covering up? What is happening inside of me? Unlike Cain, rather than lashing out, it's our job to look in. I said, Dave, why are you upset? If I don't want to talk about it. About an hour into the session, David's a man who spends a lot of time in prayer, a lot of time in the Word, a lot of time journaling. Just a, a guy that lives in the continual uh, truth of God's Word. He says, Mike, he says, I'll tell you why I'm angry. He says, I was standing in line. I was outside the infirmary waiting for my medication surrounded by 500 inmates, he said, and, and I, I'm minding my business, his name for him is so important, his reputation, he's worked so hard over the last 35 years, being a testimony to other inmates, it cringes when he hears documentaries, movies, books, written on the son of Sam, he says an inmate from the back of the, the line yells out loud, David, my girlfriend went online, she went on a website, and you were ranked the number one most dangerous guy in New York, congratulations, the son of Sam. And he started crying and he said, I was angry 
because I was ashamed. He said the anger was a cover-up for the shame. He looked in, and he expressed what he felt. He didn't harbor it. He didn't internalize it. He didn't externalize, blame people, uh, places, things. He looked inside, and he said, you know what? He said, shame, shame makes me feel vulnerable. Anger, anger makes me feel powerful. He says, every time I got shamed, I instantly got angry because I'd rather feel powerful than feel vulnerable. For some of us, anger is the psyche's bodyguard. It is the fragile psyche's bodyguard against shame, against fear, in some cases against guilt. I don't know what it is this morning that your anger is covering up, but the question this morning is not who is making me angry or what is making me angry, but the question is why are you angry? Look in, because if you don't look in like Cain, you will lash out. Cain never answers God's question. Cain, why are you angry? There's no response. There's no rebuttal. There's no reply. A couple of verses later, he leads his brother into the middle of a field. He blunges him to death because he believes that his anger is on the outside. But guess what? It is an inside job. God wants to search our hearts this morning. Anger is a light on the dashboard that says there's something broken under the hood. My prayer this morning is we would look under the hood. Anger works just like a drug. It distances you from what you feel. It's just like a drug. In fact, there are people, you've been angry for so long, so, many, so much time has gone by, the only emotion you ever feel anymore is mad. Either sad or mad and nothing in between because anger, like a drug, anesthetizes feelings. Adrenaline flows. Adrenaline's a painkiller. It numbs all other emotions. We turn to anger like we turn to booze, like we turn to narcotics because it numbs what we feel. It makes us feel powerful and we would rather feel powerful than feel vulnerable. Am I talking to anybody in here this morning? So Paul is saying, don't put this off. Don't let the sun go down. And don't pretend you're not angry. I think in a, if, there one, if there's one thing we're in danger of, and I'll be nice, be kind, uh, you know, be cool all the time, politically correct society, is just acting like we're not angry when we are angry. In fact, I got a word for it, and the church is definitely notorious for this. It's a word called passive aggression. Listen, this culture is the most passive, aggressive culture, probably because in any culture where it is taboo to be aggressive, in that same culture when it's forbidden to be aggressive and one is angry, passive aggression raises its head. Passive aggression is when you're nice and you act nice, but you're nice because you're nasty. And the nicer you are, the nastier you are. Hi, welcome to Renaissance. We love people. <laughs> right? Passive aggression, listen, in any community where aggression is not, it's not allowed aggression in our culture. It's just not. 
Like 35 years ago, right, you got a problem with somebody in the schoolyard? Real simple. You got an issue? Let's go behind uh, the, the school. Let's go in the backyard. Let's go in the playground. You and I will meet. We'll duke it out. You can't say that to somebody in our culture. There'll be a lawsuit in 2.2 seconds. In any culture where aggression is taboo, especially in the church, passive aggression raises its head. Passive aggression is when I get back at you indirectly. I know how to get even without getting in trouble. I want to get even. So I buy you cheesecake, and I know you're lactose intolerant. I can't hurt you physically, so I destroy you socially. I gossip, I slander, I malign, I badmouth you. Can't hurt you physically. Can't puncture your, your eardrums with a number two pencil. It's what I really want to do. So instead, I socially sabotage you. I mean, what am I talking about? This lady, she's a you know, Christian woman full of Jesus. She's got the shirt that says so. She works at the airport. And she's smiling, and she's got this obnoxious passenger, and he's swearing, hollering, yelling, and then he, he walks away. I guess he's upset about his flight, and the passenger's watching. He says, boy, you really handle that guy real well. He says, you're so full of Jesus. How do you handle him? She said, real simple. He's on his way to Chicago. His bags are on their way to Orlando. <laughs> Passive aggression. God sees the heart, amen? Jesus dealt with this in his day. He told the Pharisees, he says, your face, you smile. He says, your lips, you say nice things, but your heart is a cauldron. It's stewing and brewing. It's looking for a chance to hurt people in the sneakiest, slitheriest ways. Passive aggression is just as wrathful. You can be just as wrathful being resentful as being full of rage. David Berkowitz, when he told me about his relationship with his parents, he told me how he weaponized silence against his parents for years. The silent treatment. Some of us use the silent treatment. We stonewall ghost people, and it's our way of hurting them. Did you know studies show that when the brain of people is enduring some kind of silent treatment, that it responds to the silent treatment the same way it responds to physical injury? can weaponize silence passive aggression the bible's full of verses that speak of mankind in the slitheriest sneakiest ways because we human beings are wicked and deceitful and we find ways of getting even without getting in trouble how many of what i'm talking about is anybody with me this morning <laughs> erosive anger is this kind of anger that's sneaky it's on the inside. You internalize it. You stuff it. You know, they did an interesting study. On, uh, it was actually this verse that was kind of the, the presupposition behind the study. I can't remember the university. But it was two groups of participants. And it was the focus of the study was how quickly should one resolve or at least seek for resolution with their anger? Is it better to wait a day or is it better to deal with it more expediently? And this verse was one of the, uh, the verses under question, kind of the hypothesis, if you will. And these behavioral scientists, uh, they took two groups of participants, group A, group B, and they showed both groups a, a picture, some kind of graphic image that would bother 
them. Some, some image that would provoke a, a response, a uh, disturbing response. And they look at, both groups look at the picture. Group A has an opportunity to talk about what they feel. To say, this bothered me, here's why it bothered me, to express their feelings, their thoughts. Group B was denied the opportunity. Twelve hours go by, just twelve hours. The sun goes down. The next day, both groups, their brains are hooked up to an fMRI, and the behavioral scientists are looking at their brains. Now, they, they show them the same images, same graphics they showed them the day before. Those same images, group A, the group that had the opportunity to express what they felt. When they saw the image, the only area of their brain that lit up was the amygdala, which makes perfect sense because the amygdala is uh, part of the brain that hosts our emotions. Group B, the group that let the sun go down on their anger, the group that didn't give any expression to what they were thinking, what they were feeling, that group, when they looked at their brain under the fMRI, regions of their brain having to do with habit formation lit up. In one day, they went from a state of anger to a trait of anger. Just by one day letting it pass. One day saying, I'll deal with this anger tomorrow morning. I'll, I'll have that hard conversation with that person who offended me another day. I'll, I'll, I'll seek God on the matter. I'll pray about it maybe another day. Just one day they went from a state of anger to now the development of a trait of anger. You know you got a trait of anger when you wake up in the morning and you wake up angry. I mean, you don't even need a reason. In fact, you're looking for a reason. Anybody here wake up looking for a reason sometimes? I got kids now. They're grown. It was like, come on, give me a reason. Just give, just give me one reason, please. Give me one reason. Just one reason. Justify what's inside of me. Give me some justification to unleash this beast. When you wake up in the morning and you wake up upset, you might want to step back and look and say, how many offenses have I been harboring? How many grudges? How many resentments have I been stockpiling? How many suns have gone down on my anger that I don't have anger anymore, but anger has me? David Berkowitz, from 7 years old to 24 years old, when he was arrested in Yonkers after 15 shootings, was a ticking time bomb. One offense, one grudge, one resentment stockpiled on top of another. One sun going down after another. I pray if there are any rifts in this community, I pray if there are any conflicts, feuds, I pray today you would not just make it right with God, but make it right with the people of God. I prophesy unity over this church. I prophesy healthy conflict resolution, two-way conversations that you would go to your brother, Matthew 18, when he sins against you, your sister, when she sins against you. There would be a dialogue, not a monologue in the presence of witnesses, but a dialogue, a two-way conversation. There would be healing, reconciliation, that every riff would be resolved for the glory of of Christ at Renaissance Church today in Jesus' name. The unity of the body. See, you and I, we're not right. I'm not right emotionally. I carry around all these rifts, these outstanding conflicts. I pray today that you would put down the gift, 
resolve the rift. Don't let the sun. Now, it may begin like Jacob, where you wrestling with God and then facing Esau. It may begin in prayer and saying, God, right now it's just me against you and it's me against me and I got to work this out with heaven and once I'm done working it out with heaven, Lord, release me, let me work it out with earth. Sometimes you work it out with heaven, you pray, you get before God and you realize the problem has nothing to do with the other person. Sometimes the closure is in the prayer closet and other times the closure is not just in the prayer closet but it's somewhere in the pews but I, I pray unity over this body because by hurting my brother hurting my sister I hurt myself now the second anger erosive anger now I want to talk to you about explosive anger Paul in Ephesians 4 is introducing a second word for anger the first term, anger, be angry, morally neutral. The second term, wrath, completely different term in the Greek, although some of the translations use the word anger twice. This is a completely different term. It's not morally neutral. It is iniquitous by nature. Wrath is explosive. Wrath is vengeance. Wrath is payback. Wrath is the need to get even. God says, vengeance is mine. Just say it, the Lord. Paul is warning against this kind of explosive anger, this payback, this need to get even. By the way, there's no getting even and getting ahead. If you're going to get even, you're not going to get ahead. If you're making your way along your journey and someone's behind you, usually there are people behind you when you're making headway. I've, anytime you've made headway in life, I guarantee you, there's haters, critics, jealous people kicking you from the behind. And if you're going to get even, that means you've got to take a few steps back. You've got to stoop down to their level of integrity. You can't get even and get ahead all at once. Wrath does not make sense. Wrath is bad math. It doesn't add up because when you get even, it's at the cost of getting ahead. Wrath, explosive anger. Paul warns that this wrath, and he's speaking to the believer. He's not speaking to the pagan. He's not speaking to the unsaved. He says to the church of Ephesus, he says this wrath, be careful. It can become a foothold. The word in Greek is a place of occupancy for the devil. Now, I know you're thinking I'm a born-again believer. I'm filled with the Spirit. I can't be possessed by the devil. I agree. If you're a born-again believer, you're filled with the Spirit. God is the owner of the temple. You're the temple of God. His name is on the deed. He's the owner. Doesn't mean Satan can't rent some space. Have you ever had Satan rent some space in your head? I'm talking to born-again believers in here. Have you ever had the enemy rent some space in your head? Not ownership, tenancy. I don't even argue with people on whether or not Satan can possess you as a believer because, look, I don't care if he can't own it or not. If he's a tenant, I know being a landlord, if someone's a tenant, they may not own the house, but they can act like they do. And if you get a bad tenant, 
It doesn't matter if legally in a court of law they don't own the house. You give them one unit, they take over the whole building. The enemy may not be able to own the temple, but all he needs is an inch. Just a little space in your head. Just one foothold, a place of occupancy, and eventually that anger will, won't be just a mortal emotion. It won't just be psychological. It will be diabolical. David Berkowitz said, Mike, when I, when I, and I know we're not all going to commit 15 shootings. I understand that. I get that. But he said, Mike, when I, when I, when I committed the crimes... It was like I was transfixed. There was an energy. It wasn't human. He said, it was like I was watching myself from the outside. Now, maybe you think I can't relate to that. I, I, I bet you can relate. You ever have a moment of anger? You say and do things that you would never say, you would never do. It's not your character to say and do these things. And when it's all over, do you know what you say? It's right there in your apology. The devil's hiding in plain view. You say this. You say, I don't know what got into me. What got into you? I don't know what possessed me. What possessed you? Yeah, I got carried away. Carried away? Carried away insinuates some paranormal energy that comes along. It whips up your irritation into rage. You say, do things that you would never say, never do. And you look at it afterwards in the aftermath. You wonder, what in the world possessed me? What got into me? I got carried away. Paul is warning in Ephesus. He's warning the church of Ephesians. That anger becomes this opening. That the anger is no longer a mortal emotion. It's not just your fury. It's Satan's frenzy. You become a vessel from below. A pawn in Satan's hands. I make an argument in my book. I say, look, here's the deal. I say, look, if, if it was just anger psychological, just a mortal emotion, just something that was in you and not something that's coming in you from the outside, if it was just mortal, why do you hate everyone? I mean, think about it. If, I, if someone bothers me, go up to the person, I straighten it out, maybe yell at them, holler at them, maybe even get even, take it to the furthest limit, get even. But when that anger gets deep enough when it gets to a point where you don't just have it but it has you you don't just hate the person that offended you eventually you hate everyone who is it that hates everyone john 10 10 the thief has come to kill to steal and to destroy all mankind at some point someone else is in the helm at some point, someone else is in the driver's seat. I'm just a passenger. It's no longer my agenda. It's his agenda. Eric Harrison, Der Dylan Claybolt, when you read their diaries, Columbine, contrary to popular opinion, they did not show up to shoot bullies that were harassing them. They, sh they showed up to kill everyone. They had uh, bombs that didn't detonate, fortunately, that their goal, in their own words, was to kill all mankind. At some point, these mass shootings, all the destruction we see, this is not just a mortal emotion. 
if this was just mental health, then the country that has the most psychotropics, the most therapy, the most psychiatrists in the world would not have the most bloodshed. Yet two-thirds of the world believe in the demonic. In American culture, it's horse and buggy. Two-thirds of the world accept the reality of a paranormal energy. America, we're so left-brained, our bodies tilt sideways when we walk. We're so rational. We see it as outdated, antiquated, horse and buggy. But there is more than just human emotion. There is a power that when that anger is left unchecked, when it's unresolved, when the sun goes down and you give place for that wrath, at some point, it's not mortal. At some point, it's diabolical. Now, my, my prayer is that we maybe spend some time looking under the hood. I, I, why are you angry? Maybe you got to answer that question this morning. Maybe you can hear God ask that question. He asked King, King, why are you so upset? Talk to me. Look under the hood. Maybe you're angry because you're shamed. You feel shame. I can tell you when David said, Mike, I'm shamed. I feel shame. He started weeping. There was such relief. It was like a weight was lifted from his shoulder just to be able to articulate, just to identify the true culprit, to say, I'm only angry because I'm ashamed. Other people are angry because they're afraid. Every time you feel fear, right away, anger, it's the psyche's body. God, you go from being afraid to being angry in a second. It's like cornering in an animal. When that animal is scared, that animal becomes scary. Those that are afraid quickly get angry. Other people, it's guilt. You get guilty, you feel guilty, and right away you get angry. I used to tell my staff when I was pastoring, I said, you know, when people feel guilty in the church, that's a very precarious moment. They're either A, going to own it, whatever they're feeling guilty for. They're going to own it, and they're going to fall on the sword. Or if they're not humble enough, they're going to draw the sword, and they're going to cut everybody else's heads off. They're going to blame. Because we'd rather feel angry than feel guilty. Guilty makes us feel vulnerable. Anger makes us feel powerful. So I, I want to ask the Holy Spirit to come into this moment, search our hearts, start with this guy right here. Search my heart. I, I believe God might be asking you that question right now. Why are you so angry? And maybe up until this point, you've been externalizing. You really think it's somebody else. I had a guy tell me in the church, I said, Ron, We'll call him Ron. Ron, why are you so upset? Why are you so angry all the time? He actually said to me, he said, I'm not angry. People need to stop messing with me. <laughs> I said, Ron, you're not angry? You know, we're, we're introspectively handicapped when we're angry. It's all out. But this morning, look in. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you. Search our hearts. See if there be any offensive way in us. I thank you for the testimony of David Berkowitz. You took an angry man and you made a meek man. Lord, he's 70 years old. He's going for parole in just a few months. And he said, Mike, it doesn't matter if I get out or if I stay here. Either way, may Christ be glorified. May Christ be glorified through our lives, God. 
May Christ be glorified through Renaissance Church. Lord, if there's any rifts in this body, if there are any gaps that need to be bridged, don't let the sun go down. Don't let another day pass. Don't put it off. Lord, we're going to look in before we lash out. Help us, we pray. Holy Spirit, search our hearts. See if there be any offensive way in us. And lead us into the way of the everlasting. In Christ's name, amen. God bless you guys. I told you. Wasn't that good? So good. Um, I was going to actually come up and share that verse, Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thought. See if there's any wicked way in me. And then lead me in the way everlasting. That verse, if you really take that to heart, and, uh, you know, as, as he's speaking, I'm trying to look at my own heart, and I'm also thinking about, as, you know, a leader of this church, how many of us have never, ever done that, or are fearful, or, like, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know you're asking me to, you know, not be angry. You don't know. First of all, he's not asking you not to be angry, right? But what you do with that. You don't know. No, I don't know. Only God knows. But in my experience and in experiences of friends that I've had, I have seen supernatural things, supernatural things of a personality or character change from, from black to white or from, from uh, broken to fixed. I encourage you, if, even if you are re- a little bit of you, and even if you're completely rejecting this, I'm telling you, it works, what he was talking about. Letting God search, like, why am I angry? Or even if you think you know, bring it back to God and say, this is why I think I'm angry. And allow God. Maybe, again, you know, it's, it's between us and God. Maybe you need to talk to somebody professional or a pastor. This is not somebody that is something that you go and tell your best friend about and say this is, you know, and, and you know, this is, maybe you have one other person that, that disciples you, you know. It's, it's not because it can turn into gossip otherwise. But I encourage you strongly. Um, it'll change your life. Um, to uh, deal with this and, and deal with it in the right way. So thanks again, Mike. Uh, again, if you're brand new um, or you have any questions, feel free to stop by the welcome table. Um, and if you uh, are interested, Mike will be over here with uh, his books and, and stuff. I encourage you to, you know, maybe uh, sow a seed of, of buying a book um, and uh, help him out. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you for uh, Pastor Scott and Tiffany. Um, We thank you for their family and how they have led us well. God, we thank you for Mike uh, being here this morning. God, we pray a blessing on his family, his wife, and his kids. We pray a a blessing on uh, Unmuted, the ministry, God. We pray, God, that he would continue to speak the words of God and that they would um, interact and change 
the, the thousands of people who have heard him speak. In Jesus' name, amen.